This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to have you with us. July 25th, 2022. Uh, This is episode 125 called Transcending Complexity. So yeah, great to have you with us. Um, How are things going? Uh, For me, the past few weeks have been interesting to say the least. Um, I'm not sure how they've been for you, but for me, my mind has just been all over the place, um, kind of entangled in the craziness of the worldly things, right? Things like the war going on in Ukraine, the January 6 hearings, uh, another mass shooting, this time in our home state of Indiana, uh, record heat wave seen all over the globe. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on right now. And then I've spent a fair amount of time on the upcoming podcast series that I've kind of been teasing here on the show uh, called Transcendent Deconstruction, uh, a series that is it's getting fleshed out. Uh, really excited to share that with you. Uh, should have more, <clears throat> uh, more to show for that here in the next few weeks. And then finally, uh, I've really been struggling with the thoughts and the ideas and the research for this week's topic, which is complexity. And then just to top things off, um, this week decided to go and make itself a perfect illustration of that complexity, just to show off, just to push my buttons, push me to my limit, uh, just to see if I was able to handle one more thing on top of everything else. Which brings us to our minute of transparency for this week which is called That's Just Crappy. Now, before I dive in, I want to make a few clarifying statements. Um, First of all, I know that this will fall under the category of a first world problem. So let me start by apologizing in advance for that. And then second, what I'm going to talk about is important. It's valuable and it is necessary. A necessary part of our ongoing healthcare, even though it's going to seem like I'm bashing it. So, everyone okay? Everyone good? All right, let's dive in. Maybe I'll circle around at the end when I'm done and uh, review those two things one more time. So, like I said, I was in a tailspin this week with everything going on. Then, to top it all off, I got to experience one of life's little pleasures. You know, that thing that you get to do when you turn 50. The gift that keeps on giving. The present that each of us has waited our entire lives for. The milestone that we can't wait to get to so that we can look back and see how far we've come in life. What am I talking about? You guessed it, the colonoscopy. And yes, it's one of the crappiest things you'll ever get to do. Now, for those of you lucky enough to have experienced this, you'll understand. And you may want to skip ahead to ensure that you don't experience any symptoms of PTSD. But for those of you who haven't had the pleasure, allow me to explain the process. Because it isn't just a drop in and have a quick look around sort of thing. No, a colonoscopy is five days of medical bliss. And here's how it goes. 
So five days prior to the exam, you have to start assessing your medication regimen. What are you on? Does anything conflict with the procedure? Stop taking this, stop taking that. Four days prior to the exam, there's nothing really to do, but for me, you know, for some reason, I just happen to have blood work scheduled. Fasting blood work, of course. So at the beginning of a week, I fasted for 12 hours in order to go in and get my lab work done. But that's on me. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Three days prior to the exam, stop eating things like nuts, beans, corn, raw veggies, fruits with seeds, and wheat bread. One day prior to the exam, stop all solid foods. Begin a liquid diet, but only liquids that you can see through. No milk products, nothing with pulp, no red liquids, etc. Then at 4 p.m. the day prior, begin the medication prescribed for the procedure. Medication, mind you, that cost around $90 out of pocket. And here's how it works. You start by drinking 16 ounces of something that tastes so bad you can barely get it down. Your body knows it shouldn't be going down because it tries to throw it back up. I found it very similar to drinking straight whiskey. As you try to force it down, your body is trying to close off your throat because it knows that this substance should not be ingested. After you force down the 16 ounces, you drink another 32 ounces of water, which tastes amazing after what you've just put your stomach through. And then you sit, and you do nothing for, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And that's when the magic starts to happen, right? The only way to describe it is that you run to the bathroom and for the next few hours you become a human sprinkler, shooting reclaimed water in all directions. Diarrhea has nothing on this experience. I mean, it may start that way, suggesting something that you've experienced before, but it just keeps going and going and going. And at the end of the day, you just feel like you're watering the plants. There's so much water that needs to come out of you. After that, you try going to bed, hoping that the sprinkler is done for the night. Of course, it's not. So you get up a few times to ensure that the bed isn't watered instead. Fast forward to the day of the exam. Uh, for me, because my exam was at 1 p.m., I got to get up at, oh, I don't know, 5 a.m. and complete the sprinkler process again. Down went the 16 ounces of whiskey, down went the 32 ounces of water, and there I sat on the toilet for another two to three hours. When things finally dried up, it was off to the exam. And of course, it wasn't just me. My wife had to drive me there, because this isn't just a local anesthetic exam, right? You're fully under for an hour or two, so you need someone to drive you home. At the surgery center, you're prepped for the procedure with all the typical stuff, right? All the questions, the medical wristband, the heart monitor, the blood pressure cuff, the port in the back of your hand for the anesthesia. Oh yeah, and the hospital gown that you don't tie in the back for obvious reasons. Then you're wheeled past, I don't know, 20 other hospital beds full of people getting prepped for similar procedures. You try not to make eye contact, but at the same time, you know each of them is thinking the same thing. How did this happen? How am I 50 already? And who on earth came up with this god-awful procedure? I think a little waterboarding may be easier to handle than this. 
But just as you start thinking thoughts like this, you're in the exam room. Four nurses frantically getting you hooked back up to the machines. The doctor comes in and says, I'm going to have a good look around for you. Not sure if that made me feel better or worse. Then one of the nurses says, okay, I'm going to test the anesthesia. And that's it. That's all I remember. The next thing you know, you have your clothes back on and you're sitting in a wheelchair. Literally, that's all I remember. I don't remember getting dressed. I don't remember being wheeled into the the post-op room. My brain only remembers being wheeled out to my car and my wife driving me home. Back at home, I made myself a cafe mocha. My wife made me a snack. I lay down on the couch and I was in and out for the next hour or so until dinner. Woke up, ate dinner, and felt 100% back to normal. End of story. Now, I told you this story because it literally fell into my lap this week. I didn't plan it this way. The colonoscopy was going to happen no matter what. But it wasn't lost on me that I was also doing a podcast episode called Transcending Complexity. To me, it was fate. A marriage made in heaven. The perfect illustration. No, the colonoscopy isn't something unique to me. In fact, most if not all of us will experience this at least once or twice in our lifetimes. But that doesn't mean that I have to like it, right? Because it brought with it a whole slew of added complexity. Complexity I didn't ask for. Complexity I didn't enjoy. Complexity that put me in a foul mood. Complexity that kept me from doing things I typically do during my week. Complexity that kept me from being able to focus on and do my job well. And complexity that took me out of my regular flow. On the way to the surgery center, I can still remember pulling up next to a young woman at a, dra- at a traffic light. Uh, she was having a great day by the looks of it. She had her windows open, she had the music up, and she was playing her drums on her steering wheel. She didn't see me, but I saw her, and I thought, how ironic. So many people running to and fro, doing their thing, living like normal. And here I am, on the way to have a camera shoved up my backside. I know, cry me a river, right? Which brings me back to my original clarifying statements. My complaining deserves the first world problem label. I know, I get it. Somewhat similar to me complaining that Starbucks was out of raspberry syrup for so long after the pandemic. Get over it, dude. It is what it is. You're alive. You're breathing. Life will go on. And number two, colonoscopies are a valuable medical procedure. I get it. I understand that. Even though they aren't fun and require three to five days of your life, they are important. And you'd be dumb not to have yours when your time comes. Today's topic, transcending complexity. We're going to walk through four things. First, defining the problem. Number two, distinguishing the problem. Three, you do you moving forward. And number four, living the simple life. Number one, defining the problem. So let's just start with my hypothesis. The real reason why I did this episode in the first place. And here's what I'm suggesting. Complexity is a first world problem that many see as necessary. But in reality, it keeps us locked in a prison of chaos, causing stress, financial problems, medical problems, relational problems, and mental health problems. So that's it. The punchline before the joke. But it's also foundational to the joke. 
right? So I want to get this out there quickly so that you can kind of think in these terms as we proceed through the episode. The idea that by increasing complexity in our lives, we actually decrease our quality of life on some level. So let's start with the basics. Dictionary.com defines complexity like this, the state or quality of being complex. I know, not helpful at all. So let's look at the definition for the word complex. Number one, composed of many interconnected parts, compound, composite, a complex highway system. Number two, characterized by a complicated or involved arrangement of parts or units. For example, complex machinery. Now that's more helpful, right? When I refer to complexity in our lives, I'm talking about the myriad of small, complicated, and interconnected things that ultimately form our very complex life. Now, let me start by explaining the two sides of the complexity coin. On the one side, you have my first assertion, right? That complexity exists and that it has the ability to derail us. On the flip side is my second assertion, that complexity has gotten worse over time and that it will only continue to get worse. Now, I'm going to skip any spiritual or religious analogy here, and I'm just going to go straight to science, okay? According to ScienceDaily.com, this is programmed into our species, okay? Here's the summary of their article. Scientists have revealed what well may be the first pervasive rule of evolution. Researchers have found evidence which suggests that evolution drives animals to become increasingly more complex. Now, I know it says animals, but according to evolution, we are animals, just slightly more evolved version of animals, right? So the assertion here is that it is hard-coded into us to become more complex. Now, isn't that interesting? And it should sound familiar when we think back to last week when we talked about Maslow and his pyramid we call the hierarchy of needs. Remember that? What is his pyramid if not a list of increasing complexity? You start at the bottom with the basic needs, which are not very complex. Things like air, water, food, and shelter. Then about halfway to the top, you find yourself in the love and belonging needs. The need for friends, intimacy, family, connection. All of those things adds a level of complexity to your life. And then at the very top, you have self-actualization, a very complex stage where you are figuring out who you are, how you fit into the universe, how things work, and even deconstructing some of the things that you believe to be true at the lower stages. This matches up very well with what we just read on ScienceDaily.com, that as a species, we are destined for complexity. It's baked into our genetic code somehow. Now, another way to look at complexity is that it exists in a direct response to another phenomenon called entropy. Now, I'm not a scientist or a physicist, but I know enough to be dangerous, and I know that there are these things, these physical laws that we call constants, and we must adhere to them here on planet Earth. Gravity, obvious example of a constant, right? Without it, the universe would literally come apart, and not in an orderly way. We would literally float away from Earth, and that would be that. Similarly, entropy is a constant that we see in many areas of our life and in the natural world around us. James Clear, in his article called Entropy, Why Life Always Seems to Get More Complicated, makes the following assertions. 
Entropy is similar to Murphy's Law, which suggests anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Because both are based off of the same law, the second law of thermodynamics, which is the entropy of a closed system will never decrease. Now, what does that mean in English? Well, first, we do live in a closed system, right? Earth, our solar system, is a closed system. Next is the constant of entropy, which has two very interesting definitions. First, entropy is a state of disorder or a tendency towards such a state of chaos. Second definition, a doctrine of inevitable social decline and degradation. So when you put those two things together, you have the following. On Earth, we are in a constant state of entropy or decline, moving toward chaos and disorder. James explains this in a very simple way at the end of his article. He says, It is the natural tendency for things to lose order. Left to its own devices, life will always become less structured. Sandcastles get washed away. Weeds overtake gardens. Ancient ruins crumble. Cars begin to rust. People gradually age. With enough time, even mountains erode and their precise edges become rounded. The inevitable trend is that things become less organized. And there it is. Entropy is the natural movement toward disorganization. So my suggestion is that these two things that we just discussed are working in tandem. On the one hand, science suggests that it's our DNA to become more complex. And at the same time, physics suggests that everything is moving toward entropy, a state of decreased complexity, less organization, and eventual chaos. So could it be that these two are connected? I'm suggesting yes, that these two things are locked in an inverse variation or a negative correlation. Simply put, as one increases, the other decreases. James goes on to explain it this way. Without effort, life tends to lose order. Now, he looks at this as good news, right? That we have this ability to push back at entropy, doing things like solving a puzzle, weeding our garden, cleaning a messy room. But for the purposes of this episode, I'm not talking about the things that we get to do. I'm talking about complexity that is either required or that we get caught up in more and more often. As the universe slowly slides toward disorder, we're experiencing more and more time and energy doing things to keep things held together. At the end of the day, what I'm suggesting is that complexity is baked into our lives and there will always be some level of it to deal with. And it will most likely increase as life goes on. Now, even if I lived in a village in the Amazon jungle, right? Progress and growth are inevitable. Do you think a small village in the Amazon would go backward in terms of complexity? No, of course not. Every year, every generation, they learn new things. They add new customs, new processes for fishing or hunting. And over time, this increases complexity. Let's say a new tribe moves in down the river. Now your life is a little more complex because now you have to figure out what to do with the new tribe. Are they friends? Are they foe? And that's just an extremely simple illustration of what we face living in America, right? Our culture is moving toward complexity with incredible speed. And we see it in two ways, at least. 
The first is adding new things, right? Creating, innovating, coming up with new technology that pushes our limits. But then it's also reinventing old things, things that we already have, and in so doing, increasing their complexity. Number two, distinguishing the problem. So when we start to look at complexity through this lens, that it is increasing, we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place because we see that it's only getting worse. But at the same time, we're doing it for the right reasons, right? We're just counterbalancing the fact that things are falling apart, right? Well, yes and no. Let's talk about that for a minute. Is all complexity good? And where does it come from? So what I want to suggest is that complexity can be clumped into two different camps. First, we have baked-in complexity. And second, we have self-generated complexity. Or maybe the best way to distinguish it is to say this. There is complexity that we can't get away from, and then complexity that we do have control over. And this is what's been weighing on me for the past few months. But looking back, it's probably always been there. This idea that life just keeps getting harder and that I keep gaining responsibility as I get older. Life keeps getting more and more complex. But the important thing is that there may be a big chunk of that that I'm responsible for. So let's look at each of these, starting with baked-in complexity. And because we live in the United States, we'll just look at it through that lens. So a good example of something that just keeps getting more complex is our tax code, right? Living in this country means you get to deal with an ever-changing tax code. And do you think it's getting easier? Of course not. It keeps getting more and more complex with every change. Think about how simple taxes would be if it was a set percentage. And I know you say, oh, it is, but it's really not, right? What if the government took 15% of our wages and you got 1% knocked off for every child you had up to the age of 18? You could still have tax brackets, just set the percentage and forget it. But this would be way too easy. And when something is easy, it's hard to game the system, right? Think about who stands to gain from a complex tax code. Politicians, clergy, businessmen, corporations, wealthy CEOs, people who can afford accountants to find all the loopholes. Complexity is the perfect cover, allowing people to get away with murder. Next, let's just look at basic life stuff. Car insurance, a level of complexity that just doesn't make sense at times. Literally, my wife and I removed a car from our policy a while back, and our total premium went up. It actually went up. Explain that to me. Next, paperwork. Think about the amount of paperwork that's required to do things these days, to purchase a home, to undergo a medical procedure, to sign up for student loans. And speaking of medical stuff, I just walked you through the entire process for a colonoscopy. Uh, But think about how convoluted the medical system has become in our country. Medical insurance, it's ridiculous. Now there are a thousand different plans to choose from, from HMOs to PPOs to low deductible to high deductible. You have physicians who are in your network, out of your network. You can see this specialist, but not that one, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you can't look at our system from the outside and think, wow, I wish I could be a part of that. Anyone in their right mind would turn and run the other direction. Next, you have television. Think about the old days when you used to have a TV and an antenna. How simple was that? Now we have cable, satellite, streaming platforms, separate apps for every major media outlet. 
a new show comes out and it looks really interesting, but it's like, oh crap, I can't watch that unless I subscribe to the Macrame channel at $4.99 a month. Let's talk cell phones, right? Complex from the very beginning with all the different plans being charged for uh, the number of minutes you use, the contracts for the phones, all the added fees, etc. cetera. Uh, let's talk about cars. Uh, remember when you could get one or two versions of a model of a car? I can still remember when we bought our first Honda Accord. You could get the LX or the EX. Done. Now you have LX, Sport, Sport Special Edition, EXL, and Touring. And that's just the big bucket. Within each of these, you have the ability to build your own with different engines to choose from, interior stuff, exterior stuff, etc. Speaking of cars, think about the complexity it takes to drive one. Back in the day, all you had to know was, is it a manual or an automatic? Today, get in a Tesla and you feel like you're in a NASA space vehicle. You get to read a 500-page technical manual just to operate it. And let's wrap things up with online shopping. Think about the complexity there. How we have millions and millions of products right at our fingertips. The problem is there's too much, right? I search for something like some small plastic part for my son's 1992 Mazda Miata. And instead of quickly finding the right thing, I'm presented with 50 options. And it's really difficult to tell which is the right one, which one's well-built and which one's just a cheap knockoff that'll break when I buy it. At any rate, I think you get where I'm going, right? Our culture, our society, and the government controlling everything is rapidly moving toward complexity. On the outside, it's for the right reasons, right? Oh, we just want to give you more options. We want you to have access to things faster. We want you to have a better life. We want you to be more comfortable. And sometimes it works out that way, right? Sometimes these are the byproducts of complexity. But for the most part, this level of complexity is a smokescreen for things like greed, right? Money is often at the heart of it all. Next, let's look at self-generated complexity. So the complexity that we have control over. Now, some of these fall into the same categories as the ones above because we choose whether or not we want to participate, right? For example, I could choose not to have a TV at all. This would eliminate that level of complexity in my life altogether. I could choose to buy an older car, have no payments, less paperwork, and not have to read the 500-page manual. But there are other things, right? There are things that we add to our lives for a variety of reasons that increase the complexity of our lives. Maybe we need them or think we do. Maybe it's peer pressure. Maybe we're afraid that we'll miss out on something if we don't add it to our lives. So let's just look at a few of those. When I look back over the years, I see things like, Owning a home with a big yard, right? This this presented complexity in terms of keeping the house from falling apart, keeping the lawn watered, fixing broken sprinkler heads, blowing the sprinklers out every year, mowing the lawn, raking up leaves, shoveling snow, putting down chemicals for grubs and moles, cleaning out the gutters, keeping the basement from flooding, fixing cracks in the driveway, replacing screens, replacing light bulbs, fixing the walls when they get scratched and need repainting, cleaning the carpets when they get stained, and the list never ends. Now, there's nothing wrong with owning a home. In fact, it's a good thing, right? And there's nothing wrong with the typical upkeep on that home. But it's important to understand that there is a continuum, right? There are normal average homes, and then there are 
larger homes with increased complexity. The larger the home, the more expensive, the more land you have. You find yourself part of an HOA. Just one more level of complexity to be part of. And now we have smart homes, right? In the future, every door lock, light, thermostat, garage door, oven, and toaster will probably be connected to your wireless network. So you can manage it all right there on your phone. But think about the time it takes to install this kind of a system, finding all the right components, getting them all set up correctly, troubleshooting them when they fail to connect, replacing them when newer tech comes available. See the complexity that you've added to your life and all in the name of making your life more comfortable or more easy. And then I think about travel sports, something that we loved and it did bring us a lot of joy. The time we got to spend with our kids, the coaching, driving to practice, watching games, attending weekend tournaments as a family with the other families on the team. But you can also look back and see the complexity that existed, right? The money that was spent, the travel, the hotels, the annual fees, the paperwork, the new jerseys every few years, uh, new cleats every season, the volunteer hours we put in to help the club grow. A level of complexity we enjoyed, but at the same time, added complexity. Number three, you do you moving forward. So why am I even bringing this up, right? I mean, if life is just going to get more and more complex, shouldn't we just assume that and buckle our seatbelts? Well, I think on some level, that's the problem. As each year goes by and things get more complex, we just roll with the punches, right? We just keep adding in these new levels of complexity and just keep moving forward. But at what cost, right? It's no surprise that in this country, we struggle with things like obesity, addiction, anger problems, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, stress, not enough sleep, high suicide rates, high divorce rates, gun violence, and the list goes on and on. Do you think that's just a coincidence? You tell me. I'm inclined to believe that these are the natural and logical consequences of our behavior, of living with ever-increasing complexity. And on top of that, we got to experience the COVID-19 pandemic, which added a whole new level of chaos and complexity, and it just about broke us. But there was an interesting that hap- thing that happened during the pandemic, right? A small positive byproduct. The pandemic forced many of us to slow down, to stop doing some of the complex things that we used to do. And for a hot second, we took a breath, And we realized that we've been running really fast for a really long time. And the same was true for nature. Remember the video clips and the images we we saw from large cities around the world where pollution had been bad for so long? All of a sudden, you could literally see the surrounding landscape. Birds and animals had returned to places that they had once fled. It was amazing. Okay, before we leave this section, I want to discuss two things. First, the spiritual side of complexity, and then number two, different strokes for different folks. So first, let's talk spiritual implications, because I don't think complexity is just a human problem. I don't think that we're smart enough to do it all by ourselves. I believe that some of this complexity is part of the human condition, but also part of the controversy between God and Satan, and that Satan uses this complexity to his advantage, keeping us as distracted as possible, keeping us depleted, depressed, stressed as much of the time as possible. If you believe that God created us and that the Bible is the operator's manual, if you will, for our lives, uh, 
it should be pretty obvious that God created space for rest, right? He even worked it into the creation week. He created for six days and then he rested for a day. And he repeated that pattern of six to one. He called the one day the Sabbath, which is meant to continue throughout time. But why? Maybe because God understands that we need rest from complexity, especially if complexity is only going to increase. And isn't it interesting that the world has thrown out the Sabbath, right? The world no longer runs on the six to one rhythm. We go hard for seven straight days, then we do it all over again with little to no rest. Sure, we have weekends, but think about how much stuff we pack into each weekend in order to feel like we've really had successful downtime. Unfortunately, by doing all of those things in our downtime, we simply keep the complexity going, even on the weekend. And that's what Satan hopes for, right? It's what he's pushing for. Keep going, keep moving, do more, experience more, wear yourselves out, and forget about your creator. After all, what does he know, right? It's the early bird that gets the worm. If you don't take it, someone else will. Get it before it's too late. Stay up late, get up early, grab the bull by the horns. It's what it takes to have stuff and to be truly happy. Okay, enough of that. Now let's talk about personality. Different strokes for different folks. So this is another one of those conversations that my wife and I have had numerous times. This whole conversation about complexity and whether it's a bad thing or a good thing or whatever. And I don't know that we ever land the plane, right? Similar to other conversations we have about introversion versus extroversion or what's the other one we talk about a lot? Um, Being an optimist versus being a pessimist, things like that. Like at the end of the day, we just have to agree to disagree. But what I think it all comes down to in this situation is personality. So my wife is an Enneagram 7, like I said, very extroverted, loves to be on the go, always doing something, um, hates downtime, and will always look to fill her day with stuff to do. Me, Enneagram 1, more introverted. Um, I enjoy a much more stable routine that includes a lot of downtime. So my assumption is that there are people across the entire spectrum, right? Some thriving on rest, some thriving on complexity on some level, and then everything in between. So this episode will hit different based on what type of person you are. So back to the title of this section, You Do You Moving Forward. I said it this way because I know that there's no easy button. There's no one-size-fits-all solution to complexity. The things I do to combat the side effects of complexity will be very different than the things that you choose to do. But my assumption is that each of us has something to do. My assumption is that complexity is depleting all of us or has the ability to deplete all of us just at different levels. Number four, the simple life. So what are some of the ways to combat complexity? Like I said, it's going to look different for each person. So here are a few trends that I've seen on social media. First, people are moving away from large cities, moving away from fast-paced environments where stress levels are high, as high as the standard of living. Then there's the whole little house movement, if you've seen this. People drastically downsizing, building small utilitarian homes that are affordable and only provide the necessities. Then there's this whole mobile home phenomenon, right? Many people are selling everything and jumping into RVs. 
or converted delivery vans in order to live more simply. They work remote and they drive around exploring the country. And then there are those who go to the extreme of literally living off the grid, going back to the super simple life, living off the land uh, and purging complexity from their lives as much as possible. But these are huge changes, right? These are significant things, life altering. But what about the average American living in the real world with real problems and real complexity? What can we do? In a word, simplify. Again, like I said, it'll be different for each of us, but we can call it the same thing. We're simplifying our lives in order to keep the increasing complexity from harming us. Because it is on so many levels, right? And maybe that's the first step for many of us. Take a good hard look at our lives and admit that there's way too much complexity, that our lives are out of control, and it has led to stress, depression, anger, and maybe that addiction that we don't really want anyone to know about. Maybe identifying that first will help us to see our need for simplification. So what does it mean to simplify? I don't know. Maybe some stuff like getting rid of things, material things. Maybe purging our homes and just keeping essential stuff, decreasing the number of things that we sign up for, deleting apps, online platforms, media outlets that we don't really need or we don't use that often, Uh, decreasing our time on social media, downsizing the number of vehicles we own. Maybe it does mean moving into a smaller, cheaper home. Maybe it's limiting travel or activities that seem to interfere with our regular lives. Maybe it's adding some downtime to our lives. Maybe adding some times of silence or solitude. Spending a bit more time in nature. Trying to disconnect on a regular basis from all technology. Uh, Stop trying to keep up with the latest trends. Stop working more to have more. Maybe work less and enjoy things that you already have. Again, different strokes for different folks. I'm not prescribing what simplification looks like for you. But if you ever feel like you're on the hamster wheel, right? If you feel like you're part of the rat race and it's going to kill you someday, maybe now's the time to simplify in the areas that you know you need to based on your lifestyle, your personality, all of those variables. And who knows? Maybe as the complexity decreases, you'll find the following to be true. You're able to think more clearly. You're able to focus longer on things that are more important. Uh, Maybe you have more time for people, for relationships. Maybe you have more cognitive margin, space in your brain for new ideas to grow. All positive byproducts as we begin to simplify. So let's land the plane. Maybe that's really the big question for this week. Do we have margin in our lives? Or are our eyes glazed over as we try to walk forward and not bump into people? Maybe asking these questions will help out too. First, Have you ever looked at complexity as a problem? Second, are you able to see the difference between the complexity that's baked into your life and the complexity that we choose for ourselves? Number three, what areas in your life are overrun with complexity and what impact is it having on your life? And finally, if you were to start simplifying your life today, this week, what would that look like? What could you stop doing this week? Or what are some things that you could start doing in order to add margin to your life? And that's it. That's all for today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Until next time, everyone, have a great week. Keep it simple. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, and as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.